The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Gretchen Rubin, the author of many books, including the New York Times number one bestseller, The Happiness Project. Her books have sold more than 2 million copies worldwide and have been translated into more than 30 languages. Rubin started her career in law and clerked for the Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer. She's here today on Health Watch to talk about her latest book, Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. Welcome to Health Watch, Gretchen Rubin. Oh, I'm very happy to be talking to you. So why don't you tell us the story of, of what prompted you to specifically write a book about habits? Well, as you mentioned, I wrote a book called The Happiness Project and, a, and Happier at Home. So I've been reading and thinking and talking to people about happiness for years. And I began to notice a pattern that was when I talked to people about a big happiness boost that they'd achieved, or more often a big happiness challenge that they were facing, very often it had to do with something that at its core really had to do with a habit, like, that's my problem. Well, really, that has to do with the habit of getting enough sleep. You know, if you're exhausted all the time, why is it that you're struggling with the habit of turning off the light? And so I became very, very interested in this question of how and when are we able to change our habits? Because sometimes we change them almost too effortlessly, and then sometimes they're really difficult to change. And so I wanted to understand, really, well, what can we do if we want to change our habits? How do we master our habits? One of the reasons why I was excited to have you on the show, Gretchen, was because we have a lot of guests who come on, let's say, uh, who repeat the same message, uh, either it's vital that we start cooking or we need to eat more whole foods or here are all the upsides of moving your body and exercising. Yet, even if listeners are agreeing with everything they're hearing, that doesn't necessarily mean they're able to translate that into action. So, so maybe we can start with uh, what you think this book, Better Than Before, does that other books uh, don't do. What distinguishes it? Well, I think you're exactly right, that a lot of times it's not a question of being convinced. Like, you're totally convinced that you'd be happier or healthier or more productive if you change some habits. So it's not a problem of information. It's a problem of behavior. And so um, what I do that's different from a, way, a, lot, of, a lot of approaches is, is a lot of times when you read the experts, they kind of have a one-size-fits-all solution to have a change. Like, do it first thing in the morning. Do it for 30 days. Start small. Give yourself a cheat day. And the problem is those strategies work sometimes for some people, but they don't work all the time for everyone. I could just see that from my observation of everyday life. And what I found and what I talk about in the book is that really each of us has to start with what is true for us. What are we like? Um, if, you're a, if you're a night person, it's not going to work for you to get up early, to go for a run every day. It might sound like a good idea on paper. It's just not, you're not setting yourself up for success if that's the way you go about it. So really what I argue is that you have to think about what's true for you, and I try to point out a lot of different things that you might ask yourself to find out more about what is your nature like, what, how might you think about yourself, about your habits. And then I lay out 21 different strategies that people can choose from. These are all the strategies that people use to master their habits, whether they're breaking them or making them, it doesn't matter. 
And 21 can sound like sort of a terrifyingly long list, but actually it's good because some are going to work for you and some aren't going to work for you, and some um, aren't always available to you. They kind of are, uh, they, they come into, they're available to us at certain times of our lives, but not others. So you can look at the list and think, well, these are the ones that are going to work for me. These are the ones I want to try, given who I am, the habits that I want to form, the circumstances that I'm in. These are the ones that sound like they're going to work for me. Um, instead of thinking that there's just a short list, there's actually a very long list of things you can try. So in order to understand yourself to, to further your capacity to form or break a habit, yeah. um, you, you look at different ways people respond to expectations yeah. and then classify them based on the way they typically respond to expectations. Can you explain uh, some of those differences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, and you're exactly right. It turns out that um, people respond differently to expectations and their outer expectations like a work deadline and inner expectations like your own desire to start meditating every morning. And so there's four, ten, there's four categories of people, and there's actually a quiz online on my site, GretchenRubin.com, so if people want to take a like 130,000 people have taken this quiz now to see what they are, so you can take the quiz if you can't tell. But a lot of times people can tell just from a very brief description. Uh, my, one tendency is upholders. Upholders respond readily to outer and inner expectations alike. They keep a work deadline without much trouble. They keep a New Year's resolution without much trouble. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do it only if they're convinced that it makes sense. So they need reasons, justification. They, so in a way, they turn everything into an inner expectation because they won't, they won't accept something just because it comes to them from the outside. They have, to, they have to feel it themselves. They have to be convinced. Then obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So, and I figured this out when a friend of mine said to me, well, this is the weird thing, I'd like to exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice, but I can't go running now. And so to me, the difference is when she had a, a team and a coach waiting for her, she had the external accountability so she would do it, but she has a lot of trouble meeting it for herself. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it, and they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. So these four tendencies really uh, have a lot um, of influence on how we form habits because, um, you know, if you walk into the doctor's office and the doctor office says, hey, you really have to take your blood pressure medication, what's going to run through your mind, how you're going to respond to that, how your habit is going to change is going to be very different depending on your tendency. So let's imagine that let's, – let's go to the topic of changing one's eating habits. Let's yeah. imagine someone's listening to my show. I'm talking to Michael Paul, and he's saying you need – it's vital that we as Americans cook more. We eat more whole foods. We eat more greens. Uh, people have heard this over and over again, and maybe they're right. not doing anything about it. So what are some of the strategies that have been shown to be beneficial or for at least subcategories of people in changing uh, eating habits? Absolutely, and that's certainly one of the most important most ones that comes up over and over. Okay, so, so two twin strategies are the strategies of convenience and the strategy of inconvenience. You want to make it, we're very influenced by just how easy it is to do something. So you want to make it as easy as possible to eat the kind of foods that you want to eat and make it as hard as possible, as inconvenient as possible to eat the foods that you don't want to eat. So if you don't want to eat ice cream, the easiest way to make that hard is don't buy it. Don't have it in your house. Or if you do have it in your house, you know, 
tie it up in a bag so that if you have to get it out, it's really a lot of effort. And if you want to encourage yourself to cook, then you want to make sure that you have all the ingredients that you need, that you have all the tools that you need, um, that, you ha- that you do everything you can. And sometimes, you know, really look at what's stopping you. Because I remember talking to a woman who was like, I hate to cook, I hate to cook. But then she, she thought back about a time in her past, which is always a good question to ask yourself, have I succeeded with this in the past? And she realized that at one time in her life she often cooked, but it was when she lived in a group house where one of her roommates did the food shopping. It turns out it wasn't that she didn't like to cook. She hated to grocery shop. And so she figured out a way so that somebody else did the grocery shopping, and then she was able to cook. Another thing that comes up a lot of times um, in, with eating that has to do with resisting a strong temptation, because often we're trying to eat something, but then we're just as hard, and maybe more important is to resist certain kinds of foods that we don't want to be eating, um, and that's the strategy of abstaining. This is a strategy that works very well for some people and not at all for others. The so strategy, of, strategy right? of abstaining, you said? Abstainers. Abstainers, yeah, people okay. People who are abstaining. So an abstainer is, is someone like me. I'm an abstainer myself. We do better when we give us something up altogether, all or nothing. I can have no um, thin mints or I can have ten thin mints, but I can't have two thin mints. So if there's something that's very tempting to me, it's easier for me to give it up altogether. Moderators do better when they can have a little bit or they have it sometimes. Um, but it sounds harder to abstain because it's sort of a more total rule, but for many people that is easier. Now, I abstain basically from sugar, flour, rice, potatoes, starchy vegetables. I don't eat them at all. I abstain from them, so I'm never tempted by them. People say, well, don't you occasionally want to have a chocolate chip cookie? I'm like, no, because that's just, I, that's my habit. I don't eat, I abstain from that, and so that's just off the table for me. I never think about it. I don't crave it because I don't want it. I don't ever have it, so I just it just doesn't really register with me. But not everybody is an abstainer. Moderators, sometimes if they know they can have something, they don't want it. But they need to know that they, you know, like they'll have a little bar of chocolate in their, uh, in their desk drawer, and they'll eat one square each day. So it's really, and you can have a lot of times conflict within families, because some people be abstainers. They're like, don't buy it, don't bring it into the house, I'm going to eat the whole thing. And a moderator say, you need to learn to control yourself, just have a little bit, don't go, don't go crazy. And there's no right or wrong way. It's just different strategies work better for different people, and you just have to think about, okay, well, how do we work? How do we figure out a way that works for both of us? Well, that's interesting. If you look at all the various ways people could lose weight, and I'm thinking with abstainers, the idea of intermittent fasting. If if you were a person who uh, didn't wasn't able to restrain themselves in a given meal, you might be able to not eat for a given amount of time. For instance, well, and I think that one of the one of the lessons from habits is like if something's not working for you, try something else. Because just because some somebody said, "Well, I tried that and it didn't work," you know, well, maybe it would work for you because, like you say, different approaches work for different people. Um, there really aren't these magic one size fits all solutions. Different things can can tie into people in different ways. Um, so it's something right that might be easier for somebody. So we're talking today with best-selling author Gretchen Rubin about her latest book, Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. So when we look at something like, say, the National Weight Registry, where they followed people over decades to see the people who have, who have been able to lose weight and maintain that weight loss over 
their lifetimes. We see that one of the strategies that seems to be in common with a lot of these people is a strategy you call monitoring. Can you tell us a little bit about monitoring? Well, monitoring is almost like this, this like crazily effective strategy because what happens is that if we monitor a behavior, we tend to do a better job of it automatically. Without even trying to do a better job, we start doing a better job. So, it, yes, if you um, – one of the things that the weight registry shows is that people often weigh themselves every day. They know exactly what they weigh. Now, some experts say don't weigh yourself every day. You'll make yourself crazy. But it seems like monitoring that is something that's helpful to people. Similarly, keeping a food journal. People who are trying to eat more healthfully do a much better job when they're tracking what they eat and how much they eat. And it's the same for anything. If you're trying to keep a budget, you want, you know, you're trying to spend less, you want to, like, really track how you're spending your money. If you're trying to exercise more, use a step counter. There's just something, or even things like, you know, anger management. Anytime we're monitoring what we do, it heightens our self-awareness. And when when we're aware of what we're doing, we're more able to um, channel it in constructive ways. And so things like weighing yourself, keeping a food journal um, seem to be very helpful for people when they're trying to change their habits. And these people who are doing it long term, say the yes. people who are weighing themselves every day, if they yes. see they've gone up two pounds or whatever, one pound, then they actually either eat less or they exercise more on that given day. And each day becomes sort of a modulated behavior. Right, and you don't sort of say, because, you know, they say, like, a lot of people just gain, like, a pound a year, but then they never lose it, you know, and so you can, it can just sort of creep up on you without you knowing it if you're not keeping a very close eye. But you've said something very, you made a point that I, that I think is worth highlighting, which is these folks are doing this for the long term, and I think a lot, what, the reason, you know, dieting is incredibly popular, something like one in five Americans was on a diet in 2012. But it doesn't work very well. Uh, people don't manage to keep that weight off. And I think part of the reason is that people have an idea of like, well, I'm going to go on a diet. Uh, I'm going to eat this way for now. Uh, then I'm going to hit my goal weight. Okay, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to hit my goal weight of 140. And now I'm done. And so, okay, that's over, and now I can go back to eating normally. But when I eat normally, I go right back up to 160. Maybe I even blow by it. And so habits, it's really about not hitting some goal, not doing a 30-day sugar detox, not about hit like losing 20 pounds. It's about doing something indefinitely. It's about this is, gonna, this is just my habit. This is how I do things. It's not special. I'm not rewarding myself. There's, no, there's maybe a milestone here. I'm going to pass a milestone. But it's not a finish line. I'm not finished. This is just the way things are going to be. This is what it means to eat healthier. This is what it means to exercise normally. This is what my day looks like. Um, and sometimes I can get a little intimidating, like you don't want to focus on that you're going to do this forever. But just like, you know, this is what works for me. This is what makes me happier, healthier, more productive. So I'm going to stick with this. It's not something that's going to end. I'm not going to achieve a finish line. I'm changing my habit forever. So it, it makes sense to most people uh, why it's hard to change a habit if they're not seeing short-term benefit, only long-term abstract yeah. benefit. But what about people who have trouble forming a habit around something that they actually enjoy doing, which doesn't really make sense to them why they're having trouble forming the habit in the first place? Yes, I mean, it doesn't, I think people are puzzled and amazed and, and confounded because, yeah, it's easy to see that it might be why you might not have the habit of cooking if you don't like to cook, but what if you love to cook and you still can't do it? The fact that you really enjoy something 
doesn't necessarily make any difference to how much you're going to struggle to make that habit. I think for me it's actually harder to make a habit if it's something I enjoy because I sort of automatically, I'm one of these, you know, cross the things off your to-do list people. And so I have to make habits of treats and, and goofing off and doing things for fun. Um, so I think you use the same habit strategies. You, use the, you look at the same 21 strategies, and you say, well, I'm going to have to use these for this habit that I love to make sure that I have enough time to read for pleasure, say, um, just as you would if it's something that was maybe um, like less compelling to you. Um, you'd still need to figure out how to mindfully make it into a habit. And how, how does the issue of addiction fit into this, whether it be, say, you're addicted to smoking or less of a medical addiction, but an addiction, to, say, to your cell phone or your, to your computer? Well, you know, in the book, I don't talk about addictions, like, hard, you know, hardcore addictions. And, of course, you know, it's very controversial, like, whether what addiction actually is at all. Um, certainly, we use it colloquially, like you say, like, I'm addicted to my cell phone or I'm addicted to Game of Thrones or whatever. Um, you know, and I think that um, what, what's meaningful is the idea that it's not good for you. It's not helping you. We want our habits to make us happier, healthier, and more productive. And using your cell phone to some degree is a wonderful thing. It's a freeing thing. It's a convenient thing. Um, there's many circumstances in which it's terrific. But then you come to the point where then you start feeling like the medicine has turned to poison. And it's not helping you. So then that's when you need to think about habits that are going to allow you to contain it in a way so that you get the benefit of it um, and not, and not uh, feel like it's taking over your life or you're losing control over it. Now, as I say, for some things, people have to abstain. Like my sister deleted Candy Crush. She could not play a little Candy Crush, so she got rid of that altogether. But with some things, you can't really just delete them. Like email, for most people, you're going to have to have email to some extent. Um, and there's all kinds of strategies that you can use. Um, you can set a bright line, like after a certain hour, I'm not going to use technology. I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to watch TV. Um, you can, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things um, to do uh, once you feel like that for you, that behavior has crossed some line. into It's not enriching your life anymore. It's actually um, cramping your life. And what about something as sort of self-reflexive as procrastination? Some, mm. Somebody who's unable maybe even to do what you're suggesting around, around their cell phone because they're procrastinating. Yes. Yeah, procrastination is definitely one of the habits that people want to stop. Now, one of the things that works really well with procrastination is scheduling, the strategy of scheduling. Because the strategy of scheduling is that you actually put a specific time into your calendar. And, you know, habits are helpful because they get us out of the business of making decisions and using our self-control. And when we put something on our calendar, then we've, we've decided what, exactly when something's going to happen. Um, and so if you might, if you, uh, if you, if you're having trouble starting the habit of dealing with your cell phone, then you might say, okay, what is the time? Like, I give myself quitting time every night. That's my habit. After quitting time, I don't check my email. I don't check social media. I don't read for work. I'm off duty. I'm goofing off. I set a quitting time. So maybe you need to set a, maybe you have an alarm ring on your phone. You have an alarm when you wake up. Maybe you have an alarm that tells you, okay, now it's time to switch off devices or now it's time to go to bed. You know, you can use, you can, by specifically choosing a time. 
Um, with procrastinating with work, which is very common, um, scheduling is helpful because you schedule time for that and for nothing else. So let's say you wanted to work on a report. You're going to sit there from 10 to noon and work on that report every day, and during that time, you're not going to do anything else. You're not going to do research. You're not going to check your email. You're not going to clean out your desk. You're not going to file stuff. You're working on that report or you're staring out the window because working can be one of the most dangerous forms of procrastination. You know, you kid yourself that you're being productive, but in fact, you're not doing the thing that you really want yourself to do. Um, so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of habit strategies that can be used um, to make sure that we're making progress on the things that we want to do. One of the strategies that really jumped out in the exercise section that you talk about is, is pairing. And I yeah. was just reading an interview of an author who was talking about how much he hated to exercise. And so he hooked up his elliptical machine to... Uh, so that he could play this multiplayer video game whenever yeah. he was on the elliptical. And so basically he got his exercise every day by doing something that he paired it with that he actually yeah. did enjoy doing. And he would never do that enjoyable thing except when he was exercising. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to me, I have to say pairing came so automatically, I almost didn't even notice it as a, as a standalone strategy. But for some, many people that I've talked to since the book has come out, this has been like a super powerful thing. And interestingly, I just started a podcast. I have this podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. I do it with my sister, um, Elizabeth Kraft, and it's tons of fun. We talk about how to be happier. Um, and several people have said, oh, I've paired your podcast or podcasts in generally with something I don't like, whether it's uh, like walking my dog or cleaning every, you know, doing like a half an hour of cleaning every morning um, because it's something that you can do that's distracting and interesting and fun. And so if there's some kind of rote thing that you need to do, um, and pairing does seem to work really well if you're, you know, on the, on the elliptical or the treadmill or the stationary bike um, with television or, or games. A lot of people do that. But what's key is that those things are only go together. You can't do the, the behavior that you like. Like, let's say you're sick. You're too sick to go to the gym. Does that mean you can, ha you can, can you have your fun? Can you play your multiplayer video game? No. That only happens at the gym. If you want to do it, you've got to go onto that machine. If you're playing, you're on the machine, they just, they're paired up. They don't happen. Because otherwise, then you just start generating excuses for yourself about, well, just this once, oh, it's my birthday, oh, I'm on vacation. You know, million different reasons. That's the strategy of loophole spotting. We're so good at coming up with loopholes for ourselves. And so pretty soon those things get unpaired. You want to keep them always paired together. If you have one, you can have the other. Not a reward. It's just they always go together. They don't appear separately. And so also in, in Better Than Before, Gretchen, you, you talk about the strategies that post, that produce the most dramatic results, one of them that we talked about monitoring and another scheduling. And then you have a section called Foundation. Yeah. Can, can you talk about that? Since I think for people who are listening to a health show, a lot of these things uh, are, are useful to hear again. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, foundation, it, 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 the strategy of foundation is around my observation that certain habits really seem to deserve priority because they go directly to our self-command. And, you know, in life, you want self-command. That is a good thing. You want to be in command of yourself. And when you're trying to shape your habits, that's one of the things. You want to have your self-command be high, and that's going to help you stick to those good habits. And there are certain habits that go directly to self-command. And so if you're thinking, well, man, i got ten habits I want to work on. Where should I start? 
you want to start with the foundation habits because if you get these under your feet solidly, it's going to help you with any habit that you want. And the habits are eating it. They're in four areas of foundation, the four kind of pillars of those of foundation. One is eating and drinking. So one is you want to make sure you don't let yourself get too hungry because funnily enough, one of the reasons people overeat is they don't eat enough. They get too hungry and then they kind of eat too much, eat all the wrong food because you, know, you just get in that, your body is just like, you got to eat, go, 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 go. Um, and so you, want, you don't want to let yourself get too hungry. Drinking, I mean, the reason that drinking, one of the reasons drinking is fun is because it lowers inhibitions. That's not good for your good habits. Um, another one is exercise. Um, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, exercise, it like boosts people's energy, it boosts people's mood, um, it gives them more self-command. You know, you don't have to be training for the marathon. You could just like go for a walk outside. That's going to help. Um, another is sleep. I mean, most adults need seven hours of sleep. Do the math. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to be drained. You're going to have trouble making decisions. Your mood is going to go down. Your immune system is going to go down. It's hard. And then that's when people find themselves standing in front of the freezer at midnight. They're exhausted. They're drained. They're trying to get that energy boost they need. So they're eating, you know, they're eating junk food instead of, like, getting restful sleep. The fourth part of foundation, I mean, I think the other one's eating, drinking, sleeping, exercise, people would get right away. Those seems pretty obvious if you think about it. I was surprised to the degree to which for most people, uncluttering contributes to the foundation. That for, not for everybody, but for most people, getting rid of stuff that you don't use or that doesn't work, get it, putting things in their proper places, clearing surfaces, making space, makes people feel more in command of themselves. You know, like you think you walk into a kitchen and one, everything's put away, the counters are clear, it's clean, you open the fridge, you can see everything there. That's going to make you feel a certain way. And then you walk into a kitchen where everything's there. Stuff is out on the counter, bags are open, like there's a million, you know, just things in your vision. You open up the fridge, stuff is falling out. It just is going to create a different environment. And for many people... It doesn't contribute to self-command to be in that kind of environment. So weirdly, uncluttering um, has this strange booster effect to self-command. So, Gretchen, it was, it was a real pleasure to have you on Health Watch today. And I know at the beginning you mentioned an online quiz, and you also mentioned your podcast. Can you point listeners to your resources if they're interested about the book, if they're interested to hear about doing the, the self uh, evaluation and, and, yeah. and the podcast. Yeah, go to my website, GretchenRubin.com, and there's tons of information there. Um, I post every day about habits and happiness. As I said, there's an online quiz that will help you determine which of the four tendencies you belong to, and it'll give you a lot of information about, oh, if you know what you are, you're a questioner, you're an upholder, you're a rebel, you're an obliger, how, that, how you can think about that. I also have a lot of resources in my resource section where there's like a habit checklist. If so, you can use a checklist to think of all the different ways you can change a habit and discussion guides, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, and then my podcast is Happier uh, with Gretchen Rubin, and that's available everywhere podcasts are available. Um, and so there's a lot, I mean, I really do believe that even for people who have struggled with their habits, uh, there's a lot of things um, to try uh, for people who maybe are feeling a little bit discouraged. Well, thanks again for being on Health Watch, Gretchen. Thank you. We're talking today to author Gretchen Rubin about her latest book, Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.